How many people from the Ukraine team do we have here? They all go to sleep already because it's three in the morning? Three? Four. Do I hear five? Five, 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 six, six. Can you guys stand up? Just want to pray for you guys really quick. God, thank you so much for uh, these servants. Pray that you would give them hearts and minds and your vision as to how to help these orphans in Ukraine. Pray that you would bless them with patience and love and during the tough times that they would keep their eyes on you, Jesus. Pray for safe travels and uh, limited sickness. And we thank you for how you've provided so much, not just financially, but but this actual team and bringing them together. And they're perfect for what they're doing there. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, actually, Sean's leaving because we're going to leave him in Ukraine. Um, no. Sean got accepted to medical school, so he's off to medical school. And uh, I figured it, as I get older that I'm going to need a doctor. Who better to look after me? My son, you know. I'm like a year older than you. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm quite a bit old. I just look young. I think. Um, we're going to talk about wisdom. Uh, ending chapter 3, starting out at verse 13. And uh, I'm going to start out by telling you a story about a guy named Bruce. Bruce Lee. No. Bruce is a, a, a theologian and a, a professor at a Christian university uh, for almost 30 years. And he used to be a youth director for a huge uh, youth uh, organization, and he used to be a pastor. And he had, or he has four children, and, and two of his sons are friends with one of the students at this Christian university. And after the student graduated, he developed a, a deeper relationship with Bruce. So he asked Bruce, uh, the professor, to meet with him on a weekly basis. So, so Bruce agreed to do so and mentor him in the ways of Jesus. And um, their, their meeting place was this fine dining establishment by the name of Wendy's. And, and Bruce, while at Wendy's, would insist on buying this former student uh, a carbonated beverage of choice and on occasion would spoil the student with some pommes frites or, for those of you who dislike the French, freedom fries and you know, that's something I don't understand is this animosity towards the French. I'm just going to spend like 20 seconds towards this because I actually love the French. I've been there a dozen times. They're the most pleasant people I've been around. When my wife and I were dating, uh, she used to live in Spain. So just a couple hours south of Spain is where she lives. So I would fly into Biarritz, France, and then I would take a car and, and head over there. The chauffeur's name was Joey, hence my dog's name, Joey. And when I got to Biarritz, uh, most of the time, you know, their customs agents wouldn't even stop me. I would be in the back of the line, of the non-EU line, really long. And they'd look at me and they'd be like, smiling and wave me over, right? So I, oh, come on. And they were like, oh, 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 surfer, oh. And I was like, what, are, what is he saying? And, and big grins on their face and they're like poking each other like, oh, Japan, Japan, surfer, Japan. And I was like... What are you saying? And I would just nod and smile, and I didn't know 
the first time my visit was there, I didn't know what, what, what Biarritz was all about, but it's like the spot to surf in Europe. And they host all these surfing championships, and they thought I was just one of them. And I don't blame them, because back then I was like 20 pounds lighter, I was wearing board shorts and flip-flops, and no one in France wears that stuff on a usual basis, so I looked like it. And I love the French. I mean, I even married someone that's part French. My wife is part French. And their food is my favorite. I love their bulldogs. Um, so that was my France plug. So now back to Bruce. Okay, Bruce. Two years had passed, and the former student was just puzzled about the things Bruce was telling him. Every time the student asked him a question, you know, something for guidance, Bruce would always direct the student to you should pray about it, or you should seek the Lord on that. And the, this just really frustrated the former student as he just simply wanted answers to the questions he had. And he just wanted the answers now. And so after two years, to the surprise of the student, Bruce actually gave some insight to a question he asked. And it wasn't until the former student learned to seek the Lord first that Bruce would give him any insight of his own. And Bruce actually modeled that for the student through the conversations he had. He would ask the former student, what's the Lord telling you? What's the Lord teaching you? What are you asking of him? And he would tell the former student, you know, God answers prayers. And he would always ask how he could pray for this student, how he could intercede for this student in prayer. And you know, that was one of the most valuable things that Bruce has ever done for me. And I think he acted very wisely with me. And obviously, I admire Bruce a lot. And looking back, I see how wise he was in his actions towards me. And Bruce simply wanted me to seek God's counsel first. And he showed me that over the years that that's what my priority should be. And he was probably really frustrated with me that it took two years for me to figure that out. I mean, that's like a hundred meetings. Here I am thinking, I'm frustrated. He must be like, this guy is so dumb. And, you know, I'm really glad he stuck with me, though. And he taught me such a valuable lesson, one that goes on with me even through now. And, you know, last week I visited him with some of our interns, and he was teaching at this uh, retreat center. And I just watched him. I watched him how he, I watched how he interacted with people and how he interacted with our interns. Um, not that the interns aren't people, but that how he interacted with them. And, and from that few hours, I was really, really encouraged by him and how he was really interested in spending time with me and our interns. And it also helped that he paid for our meals, so thank you. But um, So it was really great and encouraging. So the question I have for you is, who's the wisest person that you know? And why do you think that they are wise? See, it's good to remember wise actions of wise people. James wants us to become wise as well. And he wants us to direct us, he wants to direct us towards recognizing what wisdom is and then encourage us to be that caliber of a person. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. James is challenging us to live a life of grace, of gentleness, and of wisdom. Verse 13 is the characterization of wisdom. And someone isn't wise because they have advanced degrees or a ton of head knowledge or they're older. But we know someone to be wise because they do wise things. 
And but if you do things in bitterness or are led to do things out of personal ambition, selfishness or arrogance, then what you're doing is deceiving yourself. And wisdom is when we exhibit good conduct in our life. Wisdom is shown by deeds done in humility and gentleness. It's not just talk. It's an action. And notice James says nothing about wise words, but only something about wise deeds. And speaking of wise deeds, my sister had bought me this nice brand new shirt when I went to visit her last week. I was on vacation, but I beg to differ. Whenever you travel with like an infant and toddler, it's not a vacation. So it was just a stress test for me. So I decided to wear this new shirt she gave me and carry our three-month-old on this walk. And during this walk, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a good dad. I'm spending time with my infant girl and walking, walking, and I just hear these sounds coming out, and her diaper exploded on me. <laughs> and then afterwards, she decided to throw up on me. And then my two-year-old decided that I was a napkin. And she was eating all this fruit and playing in dirt and just wiped it on me. So it's not wise to wear nice clothing around infants and toddlers. And that's one reason why I don't buy new clothes. But I'd rather ruin my clothes and spend, kids, spend time with my kids any day. So, But anyway, think back over the stories that you heard or that you've told. And notice that the actions were more important than the words. Notice how humility was present in wise actions. See, I I was wise in wanting to be with my children, and I was humbled in the process, so it was a very, very good day for Albert Lee that day. And there's not much you can do after something like that happens, right? I mean, poop here, throw up here, what can you do? So true humility. And why is humility such an important issue? See, a truly godly person realizes that humility is at the heart of Christianity. First, we humbly realize that we could not save ourselves from our sins. If we are true followers of Jesus, we understand that we are saved from an eternity in hell solely by the love of Jesus demonstrated to us by the cross. And you can't be a prideful person when you actually understand what that means, what He actually did for you. And a true follower of Jesus realizes that. Secondly, we humbly serve God not to show off, but just to say thank you. So wise behavior or obedience to God's Word and the willingness to serve God is a byproduct of God forgiving us. And knowing that shows wisdom. See, when we take communion, if we truly understand what we're doing, we're remembering what Jesus did for us. And we are thankful for that. And the early church called the communion service Eucharist. What does that mean? It means thanksgiving. And we can't really worship God until we're thankful to God. And if we haven't realized that Jesus saved us from our sins, then we tend to be less thankful than those who do realize it. And worship is tied to thankfulness. And thankfulness is tied to true wisdom. Have you ever sacrificed something um, to help a person in need? Or has someone ever done this for you? You know, we've heard of parents or siblings giving a vital organ for a loved one. And I have a friend who actually did this. He did it for his brother. His brother, uh, his kidneys failed, and this was, he was in his 50s, and he went in for testing and found that he was a match. So Mike's family was really nervous that their dad, her husband, was going to be going into surgery to give up a kidney when, when Mike was already over 50 himself. And Mike was in so much pain after the transplant surgery. He was in more pain than his brother who received the kidney. But 
Mike's sister-in-law, his niece, and his nephew, they were so thankful for the sacrifice that Mike made for her husband, their dad. And think about how you would feel if someone did that for you. You know, gratitude would certainly be one of the feelings that you would feel, wouldn't it? But wouldn't it also be really humbling that someone gave that much to you? Jesus gave His all. And when we feel gratitude and humility, we're moving towards what the Bible calls worship. And to worship is wise. Are humility and gratitude the major feelings you have when you walk into regeneration? If those feelings are missing, then James wants you to know where your other feelings are coming from. Let's see what James has to say in verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against truth. The wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Verses 14 through 16 are telling us about wisdom from below. James lists two qualities here, bitter envy and self-ambition, which are the opposite of meekness and wisdom. And if we boast about these, James says we are denying the truth and deceiving ourselves. And the term bitter envy is the same term used by the zealots for zeal. And the zealots were these Jewish revolutionaries who were popular at their time because they would stir up the people and direct their attention on on their poverty, on, on their living circumstances. And they would rally the Jews to get them behind them to liberate Jewish Palestine from Rome and free them from all the oppression that they suffered suffered from the Romans in their own land. And the term self-seeking also related to this disharmony and this attitude to provoke war. And it's a term to set out to be self-serving and nothing else. It's a term used to describe someone who's going to use any means necessary to get what they want. And the zealots would claim that even violent retaliation was needed in order for them to get what they wanted and that they had to take up arms to get what was rightfully theirs. And this battle cry started gaining traction and momentum with the Jews. Meanwhile, James was urging Christians to wait upon the Lord, to focus on God, not on your circumstances. And James demonstrated to be the wiser than the advocates of the revolution as proven through history. You know, James was stoned to death in 62 by the orders of the high priest Ananus II. And in 66, the Judean revolt began. The Romans massacred the Jews. Within three bloody years, in 70, the revolt was crushed. And according to Josephus, a Jewish historian in the first century who lived through this war, 1.1 million people died. And the majority of, being, majority of them being Jewish. And Judea was devastated. Jerusalem was destroyed. And its 97,000 survivors were captured and enslaved. And in 73, the final resistance fell at Masada. Notice how people can become envious or selfishly ambitious at church as well. And that's, that kind of wisdom doesn't come from God. That kind of wisdom is described as earthly, sensual, demonic, and it doesn't come from above. Above in verse 15 is a term that is sometimes synonymous with God in Jewish tradition. And James' words in verse 15 seem to suggest an indirect working of demons through stirring up their own ungodly values in a world system by describing that type of wisdom as earthly and sensual. 
So earthly, what is that? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes, The world through wisdom did not know God. There is a denial of God being our Creator, being the originator of knowledge, of wisdom. There is a denial of our own sin nature. It's an attitude that we don't need God because we can figure everything out on our own. It's an independence from God. And the standards and the sources of these standards are worldly. It's where success is measured on worldly terms and goals are worldly goals. And sensual is addressing the things that appeal to the physical parts of our human nature. And this is the part that encourages us to seek immediate gratification. This is what makes us do things without thinking about the consequences of our actions. It's like an animal's instincts. It's what makes an animal growl or bite with no other thing in their mind or in their view other than your prey or their defending themselves. And it's something that cheats us out of thinking critically. It's something that cheats us out of having self-control. And demonic is pointing to how the devil redirects our attention from God to other things. In the Garden of Eden, the devil came to Eve to pull her away from God. He made things appealing to her flesh, to her eyes, to her pride. He lied to her. He deceived her. So this source of wisdom is from the devil. The actions taken here are what the devil delights in, not what God delights in. And the wisdom from below seeks to deny the existence of God And if not his existence, his character, his very nature. And it appeals to the sensual parts of the human nature. And it makes us look away from the consequences of our foolish actions and choices. And it makes us not deal with the present, what's right in front of us. And this type of wisdom tends to look at things in such a way that the costs of our present day actions aren't even considered. When, where the responsibilities of today are ignored and deflected to some other time. And this isn't godly wisdom. This is demonic wisdom. It causes bitter envy and strife. It produces chaos. And instead of uniting people, it forces division. Instead of ushering in peace, it spews out dissension. And there are people who are like this who may even be at this church or in different circles that you're involved with. Many of them are really bright, really sharp people who are so clever with their words, but this type of person causes trouble and disturbs personal relationships through what they say and what they do. And there are demands made by such a person to be heard and demands for this person to have their personal rights, even though it's not part of the greater community. And their demands aren't necessarily what's best for the community. And it's a sobering thing to realize that this type of person's wisdom is devilish rather than divine. And I believe Jesus was sinless because simply He was the smartest man to ever live. He was able to foresee His consequences and therefore navigate through the circumstances of life in such a way that He was sinless. And you know that saying, hindsight is twenty twenty. Jesus was able to live in such a way that He had twenty twenty all the time. He could see where sin would lead, so he was able to live his life through the trials and through the temptations without sinning. And when we live for the immediate, we lose sight of what's in front of us. And we just look at fulfilling unmet desires, which leads to bitterness. And instead of living in the now and dealing with what's in front of you, you begin to envy what others have and look past what you have to deal with right now. And you start coveting and lusting after what others have. 
Then you begin devising schemes and you start pretending to be someone you really aren't at any expense, at the expense of your spouse, your family, your job, finances, ministry, your relationships. You want to become something that you really aren't. Just look at the crime that stems from this type of wisdom. Look at the wars that stem from this type of wisdom. James chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? It's as if James was prophesying the first Jewish-Roman war. You know, people kill and they still don't have what they want. People lust and they still desire to have more because it's an appetite that can't ever be satiated. You never obtain enough. You never are satisfied enough or content with what you have. That's what wisdom from below leads you to. And Solomon, who had everything in terms of fulfilling his lusts and desires, ended up unfulfilled, cynical, frustrated. And in Ecclesiastes, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. When bad wisdom is present in the hearts of people, including this church, the fruit is disorder and every evil practice. The wisdom of the world, the flesh, and the devil may be able to accomplish things that maybe even seem good, that seem like they're successful, but they always result in confusion and every evil thing. And this type of wisdom is conflicting. You think that you're doing good when you're actually doing evil, and when you think that you're actually doing evil, you're doing good. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, "...woe to those who call evil good and good evil." This is the very opposite of living in the kingdom of God. In the Lord's Prayer, we are to pray that Thy kingdom come. And if we are envious, we are not of heaven, we are of the devil. And a telltale sign that true wisdom is near is when humility is present in your life. And these are really strong words by James, but really loving words, right? When we are filled with envy instead of humility and gratitude, and when we demand that people praise us or let us get our way, self-seeking, then we're not of the Lord. We're of the devil. James does not tell us these things to condemn us, but he wants to show us truth. And if we had a curable cancer and our doctor didn't tell us because they felt that would just be too mean to tell that guy that he has cancer. I'm just going to keep it to myself, you know. I'm not going to tell him. Would he be considered a good doctor? I mean, James is a good doctor. And if we're serving the devil, we need to know that. And if we sit in Christian gatherings, whether church, small groups, other various ministries with envy or selfish ambition, then we deny the truth. And the truth is that wisdom brings humility, not envy, not selfish ambition. And we need to know what is wrong so we can seek a cure. Now wisdom from the heaven is described in verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The wisdom that is from above. True wisdom comes from God. It's a gift from God. And we can't attain that wisdom from above, from our own efforts or from our own doings. The wisdom from God is a gift from Him. And that wisdom bears fruit. It bears good fruit. And verse 17 is precisely defining what James meant by the meekness of wisdom in verse 13. True wisdom is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Pure. The ancient Greek word for pure in this verse is describing a purity that is so pure that it's 
enough to approach God, a holy God. True wisdom leads us to pure living, pure thoughts, and to be morally pure. And we're not infected by worldly thinking and we're not ruled by worldly philosophy. We don't have to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. We don't have to get while the getting's good. We don't have to plot out our life and do whatever it takes to accomplish our agenda. You'll be able to live in such a way to set out on doing God's agenda. And unlike the zealots who through their actions caused the death of over one million people and enslaved 97,000 Jews, it's pure, therefore not mixed with anything else. There are no ulterior motives, just the will of God for our lives. It's not mixed with demonic wisdom, earthly wisdom, sensual wisdom. True wisdom is peaceable. Wisdom below leads to wars, but the wisdom from above brings peace. And in times of difficulty, there's an eagerness to pursue peace. We have peace with God, resulting in an inner peace, which results in having peace with others. And this true wisdom is what produces right relationships, healthy relationships. It encourages people to get closer to one another and to God. Peace brings people together. It doesn't break us apart or cause contempt. It doesn't delight in hurting people with other with our words or our actions. It doesn't pull people away from God. The wisdom from above is gentle. And some people may interpret this as being weak. But doesn't it take more strength to hold your temper than to let it go? It takes great strength to be able to command and control your emotions. Anyone can let themselves go in rage. Right? But only the one who is strong can control their emotions. And the ancient Greek word used here for gentle is actually really complex. It's describing someone who knows when it's actually wrong to apply the strict letter of the law. It's portraying a person who knows how to forgive even when strict justice dictates that it's perfectly within someone's right to condemn. The word gentle is depicting someone who knows how to make allowances. When, when not to stand upon their given individual rights and how to soften justice with mercy. It's showing us a person who understands, always remembers that there are greater things in the world than rules and regulations. It's the ability to extend to others the type of kindly consideration we would wish to receive ourselves. Willing to yield. In other words, it's reasonable, it's patient, it's humbly submissive. We can see that we can see what is right and fair, and we can be flexible as necessary. It's to have have the ability to adapt to the circumstances of life as they come before us, where we are willing to listen to reason and not be stubborn, not be rigid, knowing when to yield. Full of mercy and good fruit. Matthew chapter five, verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, being Christians and having ob obtained mercy for ourselves, it's really important for us to show that mercy, to extend that mercy. James chapter 2, verse 13, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. How merciful do you want God to be towards our wrongs? Mercy here in the ancient Greek means mercy for those who are in trouble, yes, but you, do you know it's even mercy for those who have caused the trouble upon themselves? Often we say, well, it was their fault. They deserve it. He brought it upon himself. But God's mercy is for all, 
all who are in trouble, even someone brought, that brought the trouble upon themselves. I mean, what a good God we have. Good fruit means it produces something through our actions. It's not just saying, oh, poor guy, I wish I could do something for him. But it's taking action. It's not just feeling an emotion of pity, but doing something practical to help out someone who's in need of mercy without partiality. We covered this in chapter 2 where James rebuked the believers because they were prone to showing partiality. Remember they had a tendency to favor the rich over the poor? We are to be people that do not show favoritism or show prejudice. We're not to waver or sway in our treatment of people based on something they, that they can offer us. And we know what God wants from us. And when we stand before God, God is not a respecter of persons. We're all treated alike. It's an even playing field. Doesn't it give you just a peace of mind to know that how He judges you is the same as how He's going to judge Paul? He doesn't have any leverage. It's the same. Without hypocrisy. The ancient Greek word for hypocrisy implies acting. Hiding behind a mask. See, we're not to be people that put on a facade. We're not to hide our true self. We're to be transparent, vulnerable, and open to one another. Not presenting one thing and living another way. Without hypocrisy means to live without deception and to be honest with God, with ourselves, with each other. It means we shouldn't pretend to be someone we aren't. And to act in such a way as to manipulate others into believing that we're something that we aren't. And instead of disorder and evil practice, the fruit from the wisdom from above is one of peace. It's a peaceable wisdom. God's wisdom is nonviolent rather than lashing out. And notice the words used. Peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, impartial. This characterization of true wisdom is full of love. It has a generous heart. And there's peace and harmony and good works. This is consistent with the holiness of God. And James would want us to ponder our effect on the community. When we walk into a gathering, do we bring strife or envy? Or do we display consideration, submissiveness, mercy, impartiality, fair-mindedness, sincerity? Is your life filled with confusion, turmoil, or unfulfilled desires? You know, that's a good sign you're following the wisdom from below. A demonic wisdom. There's no peace in that type of wisdom. In English, peace, peace usually means an absence of conflict. But in Hebrew, since James is writing, writing in a Hebrew mindset, peace means a lot more. Peace in Hebrew means a harmonious state with God, with others, with life. It means being in sync with others, with the Lord, with ourselves. Verse 18, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is illustrating an image of virtues as seeds and fruits in this verse. And this is a verse that we should all take to heart, and I hope that regeneration takes this verse to heart. James realizes that we all want good things in life, but the seeds which result in good fruit can't thrive unless we are at peace with God, at peace with ourselves, at peace with each other, with each other. And the only ones capable of this are those who demonstrate with their life that they want to produce right relationships. Only followers of Jesus are capable of this. You can't have peace with God without Jesus. You can't have peace with yourself without God. 
You can't have peace with others if you don't have peace with yourself. And we can't expect to expect good things to grow in an environment that resembles a battlefield. When there's a group where there's strife and bitterness, it's impossible to reap anything positive from that. It's like planting seeds of righteousness in barren soil. It's just not going to grow. There's never going to be a harvest. So those who disturb personal relationships and play a part in causing strife and bitterness have cut themselves off from the harvest and from the reward, which God gives to those who live a godly life. Do you bring about strife and bitterness to a community? Whether that's the church, your family, your job, your school. Are you disturbing personal relationships? You know, there are a couple parallels I want to share with you on this. Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Proverbs 11, verse 18. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. James' point, James point in this context is, context is that true wisdom is the wisdom of peace not of violence. And many Pharisaic teachers preached peace at this time, but many populists were advocating violence like the zealots were. And James was countercultural in his message. So what does the fruit of your life look like? What kind of wisdom comes from you? James instructs us to show our wisdom by the manner we live, to demonstrate our wisdom and have it manifest through our fruits. And the manner in which we live our life demonstrates the source of our wisdom. You know, if you're constantly violent, constantly in strife, in turmoil, constantly confused, chaotic, flustered, grumpy, bitter, jaded, negative, resentful, constantly bad-mouthing this person, that person, that thing, this thing, this sermon, that sermon, that song, this song, that process, this process, this church, that church, That wisdom is not from God. The wisdom from God is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield without hatred, without spite, ill will, animosity, hostility, enmity, or malice. You know, this is just really good practical, moral, and spiritual advice for getting along with people. It's not some theoretical knowledge. It's wisdom in how to live together in a state of peace. Isn't that something that we all want? Isn't that something we all yearn for? Don't we all want this for our personal lives, for our church, for our families? Peace. And the source of such wisdom is from above. James is calling us to this type of wisdom. Remember that James doesn't want to condemn us, but bless us by telling us these things. And if we lack such wisdom, there's hope of getting it. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, if we lack wisdom, we're to pray for it. We're to ask God for it. If we ask and have faith in the wisdom that we ask for, He'll give it to us. And if you want better wisdom than you presently have, pray for it, ask for it. And for those of you who lack peace in your life, and you want it, for those of you who... Don't know Jesus because there's no way you're going to get that peace without Him. I just want to encourage you guys to come up to the front. 
when we, uh, ha- after our service, I'll be available off to the side and we'll have a bunch of people here to pray. We want to hear your story. We want to be able to answer questions that are hindering you from making that choice so that you can have peace in your life. God wants to bless you. He wants to give you wisdom that's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. He wants that for you. And if you're not living a life that's peaceable, ask for it. He'll give it to you. Life is not meant to be full of strife and bitter envy, selfish ambition, self-seeking. He wants to bless you more than that. Let's pray. God, thank You for offering us something that uh, our human nature tries so hard to push away. And yet, through Your love and through Your character, You see so much more for us. We ask, God, that You would uh, kind of pry us a little bit if, if we're kind of on the fence there. And for those of us who are struggling with things in our life and desire the sense of peace, that uh, they would come forward to uh, ask for, for prayer and that we would be able to support them. I pray that you would give us this wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.